This episode is brought to you by VinSmart. Need help with your recall campaigns? DMVs, government agencies, fleet owners can learn more by visiting vinsmart.com slash businesses or call 1-888-950-9550. Welcome to AmbaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Amva community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This week on the AmbaCast, we are going to go for an in-depth profile for our incoming chair of the board, Chrissy Neiser. Chrissy, welcome back to the AmbaCast. You may hold the record for the most appearances on the AmbaCast. We'll have to have our historians check, but welcome back once again. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm proud to hold the record. I am an active listener, so it's always uh, <laughs> exciting when a new podcast comes out, and I enjoy hearing our, from our colleagues as well as uh, folks in the community about what they're doing. Well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you being a listener. Um, this might be the easiest of your appearances because you're just going to have to talk about yourself so folks can get to know you since uh, you uh, just the other day were sworn in as our new chair of the board. Uh, exciting, looking forward to it, trepidatious. How do, how do you feel about the year ahead and the, the duties of being chair of the Anvil board? It is exciting, but it certainly is an honor. I'd start there. I think, um, you know, I, I pretty much got involved in AMBO from my early days um, working within the Maryland Motor Vehicle Administration. Our then administrator, John Quo was very um, involved and wanted his staff to be involved as well and felt like it was a great place to learn and grow professionally. And so to now be chair um, in some ways is is uh, something I never thought I would be, yeah. but um, I love the community. I think we've got so many great members who contribute and, and provide wonderful ideas and and uh, are really dedicated to our mission, customer service and highway safety and identity management. And so I'm really honored and excited to be working with everybody this coming year. So let's go back to those early days where John recruited you to, to, to get involved. What, what year did you first join the Maryland MVA? Um, so I first joined uh, the Maryland MVA back in, I think it was 2006. Um, I'd been a long-term state employee, but worked at several other state agencies. And so, frankly, didn't have much knowledge or understanding of the motor vehicle world. And um, like I said, John was very encouraging to get involved. I think he was chair at the time of the internal fraud working group. So that was one of my first entrees into AMVA working groups and, and the great information and knowledge you can learn there. Um, but quickly got to meet other colleagues and, and then start to, uh, to grow and volunteer myself, um, having participated on many committees, even being chair of the driver committee for a while, um, and really found AMVA to be that great resource, that place that I could learn more about what was happening in other jurisdictions, take back those best practices and help implement them in Maryland to benefit our residents. And talk to us about your your growth and promotions through Maryland M MVA. You know, there's sometimes there are administrators that come from outside organizations and take on the role as the chief administrator. And then there are cases like you where they come in in a different role and over the years uh, ascend to the chief administrator role. When you first came in in 2006, what, what position were you in at the MVA? So at that time, it was called an associate administrator of driver and vehicle policies and programs. And uh, the name changed and the responsibilities changed several times over the years. Um, 
And then I was later promoted to the chief deputy administrator um, and then administrator. And, and to be frank, it's not something that I came in or even in those early years thought I would ever aspire to. And, um, you know, I do credit a lot of great mentors and folks who saw it in me before I, I saw it in myself. Um, I remember as John, um, who was a long-term uh, administrator with us, was towards the end of his tenure, he would start saying to me, well, when you're administrator one day, this is what you need to think about. And I would just, you know, kind of shake my head at him and say, John, come on, let's be serious. Um, but he was really grooming me to think about things I would need to consider in that role. And, and sometimes we all need that, right? We all need somebody yeah. else that sees something in us that we might not see ourselves. So, you know, fortunate to have a lot of great mentors who who helped me along the way. But I'm also grateful for all of those different roles I had within the organization. Um, certainly admire many of my great colleagues who've come from other um, disciplines, other areas, private sector, other state agencies. But, you know, I really relish all those experiences I had down in the trenches with folks learning our systems, um, you know, maybe being learning enough to be a little bit dangerous uh, to ask the <laughs> questions, um, to try to really dig in deep. I, I enjoy that. I, you know, policy is, is my background. So I enjoy, you know, learning. And um, I think all of those experiences really benefit me in my current role, being mm -hmm. able to, to really know the agency, you know, for so many years and in so many different yeah. capacities. And, and hopefully I bring that to, to what I do today. So when you say policy is your background, then you didn't necessarily imagine being administrator of the Maryland MVA, certainly a career in public policy, public service is less of a surprise for you. That was more of a targeted approach coming out of school, perhaps? It was. I, you know, I, I, I just had a passion for service, I think, and, and certainly even I credit my parents, the way we were raised, it was about giving back. And um, yeah, so even in school, I did some internships with my local state legislators, and I went down to Annapolis and kind of experienced what that was all about. Um, I got my undergraduate degree from Goucher College um, in, in political science, and then I went on to get my graduate degree in public policy. Um, at the time, I was really passionate about education policy. I, I remain passionate mm. about education and how that has really the ability to change people's lives and you know open up those doors that might not be initially available. Um, and I really wanted to to be a part of that and and you know make some important changes in that area. I went down to the federal government right after. Um, graduate school. And um, for me, it was a, a little bit too much of the bureaucracy. I wanted to be able to uh, see the impact of the changes I was making and, and you know, see the, the, the positive benefits that hopefully that we all want to do at the end of the day and, you know, how we make people's lives better. And so I came back to the state after, you know, a short period of time and, and um, started working as legislative staff, actually. And um, you know, got to do some of that good constituent service that all of us in motor vehicle agencies continue to do today. Um, but, you know, went, worked in the Office of Homeland Security right after 9-11. That was certainly mm. a very interesting time. Um, not the only state, the state office of state Homeland office, Security. Yes, thank yeah. you. Um, not only looking at, you know, the, the terrorism threat, but also just looking at um, you know, when we had disasters that happened in the state and we had a hurricane at that time and how do we respond to it? So um, working with a lot of other agencies and, and to your point, it was a statewide coordination office. We didn't have any mm -hmm. overt authority. So how do you how do you have people work together in a way that they see a benefit from um, collaboration and coordination? So that was a really interesting experience. Um, then went on to work for the Public Service Commission. So in Maryland, that agency regulates all the public utilities. 
Um, and I manage their uh, consumer complaints process, which for obvious reasons is pretty regulated um, with the importance of utilities and, and the life-saving uh, or life-sustaining um, uh, thing that you're regulating there. So mm-hmm. um, I did a lot of that and uh, I had an opportunity to, to once again be engaged in some really big public policy issues because we were going through deregulation and, and some rate crises. So it, it put me kind of on the front line of of some areas that, you know, I was out there talking to the media a lot in ways that I'd never really done before. But again, that experience as today, we have to speak to the media often in our positions kind of benefits yeah. me as well. So o- over this time, and particularly the 15 years you've been at the MVA, you mentioned your your list of being on AMVA, working groups, committees, sharing many of them. It's an extensive, long, long list. And you mentioned earlier, you know, kind of what you've been able to bring out of it to bring back to Maryland. How have you seen the industry as a whole and maybe even the Maryland MBA evolve over the 15 years you've been there? Yeah, the evolution has been a lot. And I love talking to even some of my colleagues who have been at the agency longer who talk about, um, you know, even more of the the automation piece that they've seen. But, you know, even in my my time here, um, you know, I look at processes like ignition airlock, which, you know, my passion for highway safety, I feel strongly about when I first got here. You know, our staff was getting these reams of paper with readings in terms of whether violations were occurring in the drivers mm. that we were monitoring. There was no effective way to monitor those drivers, you know, getting that stack of paper for every participant in the program. And so that was one thing early on that we automated working with the vendors so that we could get that data and, and provide feedback to that driver to say you're not, you know, managing um, the program the way you should be and there's consequences to doing so. Um, just some of the customer service uh, changes have come about so much more online than ever before. Um, Maryland was um, an early state in terms of kiosks, but certainly the expansion of those kiosks and the additional services that customers can do there. Um, things have really changed dramatically over over the years. So knowing that 15 years, I'd imagine, feels like it's flown by. Hard to believe that you've been there for, for 15 years, um, which is Right along the time uh, you and I met, I think it was early on in your involvement in the driver standing committee, and we've had the wonderful, I've had the wonderful blessing of, you know, of us becoming friends and, and close colleagues over that time. 15 years have flown by. If I was to ask you this question in another 15 years from now, where, where do you think the evolution goes from here over the next decade and a half? Yeah, that's a really exciting thing, I think, about our industry. It never stands still, right? It's always mm-hmm. evolving and moving forward. And so, you know, some of the things I'm excited to see are um, mobile driver's licenses and seeing those products that are physical today going into the electronic realm. Um, you know, likewise with e-titling and getting to a point where where we don't necessarily have to have that physical document anymore. We can exchange that information electronically. I also think that... Um, there's benefits we can provide to our residents that are even beyond that traditional driver and vehicle services. And I know in talking to some of my colleagues, that is an evolution that that is happening. Our, our colleagues in Canada come over early on in terms of that evolution with many of their service models that they have from a customer service standpoint. Um, so I think there's a lot that can be be done in a motor vehicle agency because we do touch the lives of every residence. And so that's mm-hmm. what's exciting to me is as folks, um, 
have more modernizations that have happened. Our systems are more robust. We're able to have that customer-centric view that we never had in the past with our siloed systems. Um, the ability to really deliver that enhanced customer service that's frankly not limited to what we've thought it was limited to in the past in terms of just driver and, and vehicle services. When you say not limited to that, you mean in terms of the services you're offering or how they, how it's being delivered? I think in terms of the services we're offering and, you know, I'll give you an example. We've started issuing birth certificates to our customers who don't have mm-hmm. them and need to get that um, license or ID card. Um, again, that's not something we ever would have been engaged in in the past, thinking that's a completely separate agency. But the reality is we are part of identity management. They're, you know, they're both identity management. They're both identity documents. And mm-hmm. um, our customers don't care what state agency they come to for our service. They, they want to get what they need at the end of the day. And I think that message resonates with legislatures, with governors, um, with folks who are creating policy at this point to say, how do we create that best possible customer experience? And what agency is best equipped to do that? And I think motor vehicle agencies throughout the country and, and Canada as well really become that agency because we do touch the lives of pretty much everybody who lives in our jurisdiction. We have the data for for Mm. the individuals who reside um, in our areas. And so I think there's really some interesting things that we could get involved in or even broader than the traditional community that we think of. Mm. You know, one of those communities where there's um, great intersection, you mentioned it earlier as one of your passions, is that area of highway safety. Maryland is one of, I think, about a third where the Governor's Highway Safety Office is part of the Motor Vehicle Administration. Talk to us about that role. I know it's one that's really close and dear to your heart. It is. And, you know, it's something where I've always had the Highway Safety Office reporting to me structurally. I've kind of brought it along with me as I've gotten promoted um, because I do have such a passion there. And, And now serving as the Governor's Highway Safety Representative, you know, when, when you're the individual who interacts with those families who've lost members and um, their lives are changed forever, you can't help but be changed for that, right? The, to take their stories with you and want to help reach that goal of zero fatalities that I know we're all really passionate about getting to. And so um, I'm excited over the coming year, hopefully, to strengthen those relationships and those bonds. Um, I know in all states, as you say, it's not that way. It's it's not necessarily organizationally tied to the Motor Vehicle Administration, but those relationships are important, regardless of where Mm -hmm. um, the offices are located. And and just talking to some of my colleagues, I know there's not always that connection. They might not know the right person to turn to. There's a lot of grant funding available from our highway safety offices, and how can motor vehicle offices take advantage of that? Strategic highway safety plans, traffic records. There's so many topics where um, really, the highway safety world and the motor vehicle community um, do coincide, and and I think we can better take advantage of those. So I'm excited to to see how maybe we can deepen those partnerships and and conversations at the statewide level. So that it, it sounds like that's going to be one of your focus areas as your year of chair to kind of uh, enable and strengthen that conversation. Uh, what are some of the other ideas you have coming in as, as chair of the board where you might want to focus or continue some of the you know important initiatives that you think need the, the championship of the, of the board and particularly the chair? Sure. Well, as you know, Ian, I've been very involved with state to state and, you know, it's it's been something that we've always seen as a, a benefit to motor vehicle agencies to, to be able to confirm that one driver, one license principle we've always held. Um, but then the driver history record is a really exciting development with mm-hmm. the team implementing that 
uh, last year and then the ability for states to come on board. I know we've always already got states who are interested and so it's great to see that. Um, I've also been involved with the compact discussion. How do those two come together I think is a really important conversation. Um, we, we did put out that uh, white paper to give jurisdictions additional information and we'll have a um, uh, wanting to continue that conversation and make sure that um, we're doing what states need in terms of compact governance and we're really mm -hmm. providing them uh, resources um, to be able to, to confirm driver history record. You know, the compact held us to certain principles and in the past we never really were able um, to uphold fully because of the fact that it was a manual system that we were exchanging records in. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, that's one area, again, that the highway safety world and and uh, what we do from a, a record standpoint at motor vehicle agencies really coincide. So I'm excited to, yeah. to try to get that board reinvigorated and, and hopefully be able to, uh, to make some progress in terms of what state to state and driver history record bring to the compact. Yeah, and in fact, I guess you are the current chair of the compacts board. Your term is not expiring for at least another year. So you'll actually be chair of both boards for, for at least the coming year. That is an interesting thought. I didn't think about that. So, but definitely uh, we encourage folks to get involved in it. I know sometimes it's a little intimidating when you start talking about the compact board and, you know, what does that look like? But definitely encourage folks to, to get involved because it's so important and fundamental, frankly, to what we do in maintaining that up-to-date record. Now, the other practical uh, responsibility of the chair of the board is, of course, being a key face, an ambassador for AMVA to our other organizations, which comes with a good amount of travel to going around to visiting the other regions. You're a region one administrator. Now you have the opportunity to spend some time with the other regions, um, visiting with sister associations, CCMTA, GHSA, ICP, et cetera. Um, how does the, the prospect of travel this coming year, uh, is, is that something that excites you? Is it something that you go, wow, how am I going to manage that in my schedule? It's interesting you say that. I mean, with everything that's happened with the pandemic, frankly, I haven't traveled in a long time. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's it's interesting. And I'm excited about the idea of um, being able to connect with colleagues. So going to the other regional meetings, I think will be really interesting to see the different perspectives. I know um, there's always uh, different types of meetings that are held by different regions. And I think can learn even more from that as well as our sister agencies. Some of those I've already attended, but not certainly representing AMBA. And so I'm, I'm excited to be a part of that. I am also a little nervous, going to be honest <laughs> and, and warning the team about the amount of time out of the office, the former chairs who have gone before me, who I've spoken to have kind of given me a heads up about that and how to manage my time the best as I can. So um, I, I'd say half and half, a little bit excited um, and, yeah. and happy to be able to talk to folks and just listen, really. I mean, that's I think that's a big part of the role of chair. Listen to what's going on and take that back to make sure that the board is, you know, following in, in the wishes and, and what is needed out there, the jurisdictions and make sure that we're moving AMBA forward in the right way. Well, and that's a, an interesting point in terms of what's needed and moving forward, because, you know, during this year as chair, the board's also going through updating the strategic framework document, which is essentially the association's strategic plan. And the, the schedule is that if we stay on project, which of course we will, uh, it'll be your final board meeting as chair that 
the board will entertain and adopt the final re revision. But we'll be spending a lot of time this year while you're chair kind of working on drafts and, and giving feedback. So it's uh, thoughts on how that kind of plays into your year as chair going through that critical timing of updating the framework. Yeah, I think that's really important work um, to, to revisit the strategic plan. And I think, you know, upon initial review, um, folks feel like we're, we are moving in the right direction. It's maybe just, you know, further refining some of that and, and, and making sure that we are um, in touch with what jurisdiction needs are. I mean, I think all of us have gone through crazy period over the last two years. And so, you know, how do we make sure that um, we start, still are on the right path and, um, going in the right direction. Um, so that is really important. I look forward to those conversations. Of course, there's that strategic planning committee that's led by Christina Boardman, and they're doing a great job. Mm -hmm. um, but they will bring their recommendations back to the, the full board. We'll also reach out to jurisdictions. We'll do a survey. We love our surveys at AMVA, right? Yeah. Um, but to figure out what what's on the jurisdictions' minds, what, what do they want to see? And so I think all of those things are going to be really critical. I just encourage everybody to provide that feedback. Um, and, and generally speaking, I just want to say that that's my approach. I'm very collaborative and, and enjoy talking to folks and hearing um, their perspectives and what they'd like to do. So I encourage folks to reach out to me, too, if you have ideas, suggestions, things that you'd like to see going on, because um, it is exciting. The strategic plan is, is an important document. It's a guiding document for AMBA, and we want to make sure we, we do the right thing. Now, you mentioned earlier you really never imagined becoming chair of the board, let alone becoming administrator, the idea of being on the board and then being chair of the board. It sort of evolves organically when you don't even realize it's happening. But at some point, you know, when you had the opportunity to volunteer to be on the executive committee, there must have been a thought that said, OK, well, this means I'm going to be chair of the board. What? um why? What is it about being chair of the board that excited you or the opportunity to be able to serve in this particular capacity that made you say, I'll, I'll throw my hat in the ring for that? Yeah, I think the AMBA community has just given so much to me, you know, whether it's career development, whether it's personal relationships. I mean, like you and, and many of the AMBA staff and just colleagues from um, throughout, you know, the U.S. and Canada. I've just met so many great people who um, have been resources for me, have been that shoulder to lean on when maybe I needed an outlet to, uh, to talk to somebody who understood what I was going through. I think the community has given me so much. It felt like a way that maybe I could give back a little bit and, and uh, you know, be a, a key part of where Amba's going and the direction going forward. And so that's really what attracted me. You know, I, mm. I think that um, there's such benefit in being involved. I, I can't encourage those who are listening enough to, to get involved at, at whatever level you feel comfortable and appropriate, um, because you're going to take something away. And I know that's how I feel. And so I hope that, you know, during this coming year, I'm able to give back a little bit and, mm -hmm. and hopefully inspire others to get involved as well. That's fantastic. And I know you are um, passionate about the work, passionate about the work of the NVA, passionate about AMVA. Um, but let's let our listeners learn a little bit about the non-MVA, non-AMVA part of Chrissy, sure. which I know by being your friend, I know you don't spend enough hours doing non-MVA stuff. We, you know, <laughs> we all wish we you had clock, more hours you clock in too day, many right? hours, you know that. <laughs> but you're a Maryland native as well. You were, you were born and bred Maryland. I am born in Maryland um, and 
you know, undergrad I attended in Maryland too. So just spent a short period of time at at Rutgers University in New Jersey. But other than that, lived my whole life in Maryland. So I mean, I have to say it is a source of pride to be able to bring the International Conference to Maryland Mm. in August of next year. So certainly early invitation for everybody and invite you to come. We'll definitely make sure you have a wonderful time. But yeah, I love the state. I, you know, we talk about American in miniature um, because we have everything from the mountains to the beaches. And so um, I, I love living here. And, and all the beautiful things that we get to enjoy. And I want to ask you more about that, but it's a good point about next year's conference. We'll, we'll make this plug here because it's a little bit different in the calendar than what most folks are used to. The 2022 annual conference will actually be in September as opposed to our traditional August. So folks should go to the website and check those dates so they know when they um, can join us in Baltimore and get bang some crabs and do other Marylandly and Baltimore-y type type things right yeah and actually it it may be a good thing because you know i love i love maryland and baltimore but august can get a little humid as as folks (laughs) may have heard so you know september is just a wonderful time get maybe a little bit cooler weather at night but still warm during the day and so yeah i do definitely encourage everybody to join us um there's so much to see in the city of baltimore um, you know, from our, our great restaurants that we'll be able to share with you to the wonderful neighborhoods. And we're um, very close to the water where the hotel is going to be there at the, the Marriott. And so there's going to be a lot of wonderful things for everybody to take advantage of. It's still early, but we're already thinking yeah. about how we can really show everybody the best there is. Of in course. So what does Chrissy do when she's not running the MVA? So I, you know, have a great family who supports me. I think everybody says that you can't do what you do Mm -hmm. without, uh, you know, your family behind you. Um, I have a niece and nephew. My nephew is five. Uh, My niece is 10. Um, And I've actually recently um, went from, you know, kind of living on my own for many, many years to now having a situation where I've moved my parents back in with me. um, And my sister and my nephew are in with me as well. So I've got a a very full house, a lot of activity, um, not the quiet that I'm used to, certainly, but I love it. I, you know, uh, your family is such an important part of your life. And, you know, certainly anything I can do to support them, I want to do. So has that resulted in you wanting to get home or it's more, oh, I'm sorry, guys, I do have to spend some more hours at the office. You're, you're I won't see you tonight. <laughs> I will say it does make teleworking a little more challenging because mm-hmm. <laughs> as many of the parents out there know, it is a little difficult to explain teleworking to a young child. To, they see to you a five-year-old they boy who wants to, accessible. Yes. yeah, it's playtime. Exactly. And Chrissy is home. It's time to play. That's right. <laughs> And then I imagine the same living with your parents again after all these years. It's, you know, things come full circle. It is. They have their own space, but certainly it's nice having them there, keep an eye on them. And, you know, uh, I feel fortunate I still have them. And so obviously uh, it's it's great to have them part of the, the household. But yeah, it does. Sometimes we all need to go to our own space and just take a moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just four of us here and I feel that all the time. So, well, I should say my wife feels that more, tells everyone else to go to their own space. <laughs> Well, this has been great, Chrissy. I think uh, our listeners really enjoy learning a bit more about the, the chair of the board now and what you have in store and looking for the year ahead. And we'll certainly have you back as the year progresses to give updates after board meetings and other exciting developments to keep the community informed and know that, you know, I individually, the Anva staff, the Anva community, we're all here to hold you up and make you as successful as, as you can be in this coming year. 
Thanks, Ian. I really appreciate that. And you guys have always been so supportive and so helpful. And again, I just want to put out that plug that, you know, I uh, have an open door policy. Please reach out to me. You have thoughts, suggestions, something you've always wanted to see. It was in the back of your mind. Uh, this is kind of an open invitation. I may regret that I'm saying this, but just joking. Sure. I, I always welcome it. Um, please reach out to me and let me know. Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Chrissy, for taking the time to be with us. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in this week. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. And until next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for Ambacast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Recall Buzz, powered by VinSmart. Visit us at ambacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.